0: So this morning in Dubai, I'm staying in a place called Al which is very close to the airport. So the auditory experience of this part of the city is really fascinating for me because Dubai has one of these programs in place where you're never to be more than a hundred meters away from a mosque. So the you know to, to sort of go alongside the epic amount of residential and Office development that's happening in the city, there's also a program of religious and spiritual buildings that are built and interwoven into the fabric of the city. And where I am here next to the airport, you've got the sound around half past five in the morning of, you know, A38 Airbuses taking off from one of the world's most developed airports ever. Um, next to the sound of the call to prayers and the Atan, and I'm going to try and get some of the uh, recordings for you so you can hear this. It's very difficult to pick it up, but it kind of wakes me up in the morning, and it's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful sound that, you know, it kind of really sets a an ambience, an atmosphere. It's For me, it's very transportative. It's a very beautiful sound of a human being's voice being Very, very expressive. Some of them are not so expressive. Some of them sound like, you know, I I don't enjoy the sound of them. But often the sound is very magical. So, and it, it provides an amazing cityscape. It really gives, it's one of the more unique aspects of this city and gives the place a very new identity. So it's quarter past two in the morning here in Dubai and I've had an incredible day exploring the gems of Jumeirah Beach and uh, actually the industrial zones of Al Gore's in, in uh, you know, the sort of developing parts of Dubai and we went to one of my favourite things to look at, a graveyard full of cranes. Now, some of the buildings that are going up in Dubai, each time I come and visit here, if you if you look at images from 1991 of Dubai on Sheikh Zayed Road, it was literally a road with the World Trade Center at the bottom of it and just complete desert. Now, it is a phenomenal uh, strip of eight lanes of traffic, uh, the skyscrapers reaching up to 100 stories plus going down for at least a couple of miles it's truly staggering and you know each of these buildings has been designed uh, to shout its name out essentially none of them are understated they go for the most sort of dazzling features the most sort of opulent forms and they're very kind of suggestive everything is trying to Uh, make a statement about who it is. There's lots of imitation of, you know, iconic buildings from around the world. And it all makes a rather strange and bizarre landscape, but very, very fascinating to watch. And the speed of the construction is quite incredible. So, being in this graveyard of the cranes this afternoon, which you can go and see us on my Instagram, was absolutely incredible. I mean, these things were gigantic, but they were all laid to rest. Kind of, you know, gently rotting and rusting in the harshness of the, you know, sand-laden air. uh, And, you know, absolutely incredible manufactured landscape. Beautiful stuff. Very, very interesting. Hello and welcome Ryan Willard here. I am in Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates and I've been travelling around visiting all sorts of interesting locations and buildings. And what I want to talk to you today about is one of my uh, journeys to the Grand Hyatt in Dubai which is an enormous hotel complex. Um, It was completed in 2003. It's made of about... 674 rooms, which at the time, when it was built, made it the largest hotel in Dubai. It's about 24 stories high, Um, and it is extraordinary in terms of its scale. It's really kind of one of these opulent, luxury hotels uh, at a scale, which Dubai is so well famed for Um, And it's located in the area of Zabil, which is kind of near the Dubai airport. And inside of the space, you have the main foyer. You can go on my YouTube channel and actually see some of the images and the videos that I took there because it was quite... It's quite extraordinary. And it's, it's palatial. This is the thing about Dubai, is that they don't do things by halves. There's a kind of uh, extraordinary Las Vegas style extravagance to all things Dubai. Dubai architecture is about spectacle. It's about impressing you. It's about wow factor. It's about dazzling. It's about creating that kind of sense of opulence of majesty there is uh, a certain kind of palette of materials that um that you are used commonly in dubai they are not ashamed to use gold they are not ashamed to use the most highly glossed marble floors all over the place that are so shine that you can see your face in them um the, in the grand hyatt particularly you had these kind of gold trims all around the uh all around the floor surfaces you had enormous columns covered in marble um, you had the chandelier which was just in again in size in terms of its scale it becomes kind of grandiose it's it's palatial and in, in its size now the grand hyatt foyer itself is actually i quite like it as a set of spaces i think it's a really uh fascinating sort of internal park and you've got to understand in dubai the temperature is extraordinary so at the moment where it's about 40 degrees and this is not even the height of summer yet um so walking around in the city is uncommon now I I do believe that it's possible to do that and to create urban environments where you can actually have the experience of leisurely walking around in in ambient, nice, cool temperatures using very simple vernacular architecture, which actually um, Arabic towns actually have 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 an amazing array of devices and shading systems and wind towers to keeping their buildings cool without extraordinary amounts of... uh, of air conditioning, but in contemporary uh, Dubai, that kind of idea of walking around in public spaces is um, not something where their town planning has uh, focused on. Let's put it that way. Dubai is about the motor car; it's highways. Again, it's big. It's kind of taken its blueprint from the American cities, and you know they've, they're not short of space here, so they've had no kind of desire to kind of keep settlements uh, confined. So, what we have is these types of buildings like the Grand Hyatt where the interior spaces become internal cities, internal landscapes in and of themselves. We, uh, in the the Grand Hyatt itself, it's a kind of, uh, you walk in, you enter through your main entrance, and there's kind of like one of these palatial kind of living rooms with the grand piano and uh, the tea rooms, and you walk forward and then you are met with this enormous a view across a rainforest tropical landscape complete with running water, rivers flowing through, waterfalls that are coming from underneath your feet and cascading down into the, the tree forest landscape. And nestled within the, uh, the landscape of the trees, you've got coffee shops and you've got little areas to sit and chat and you've got a number of very high-end restaurants which Um, you know a lot of them are very very nice i really ate ate one the other night and i thoroughly enjoyed it um and above in the interior um, on the ceilings you have i think it's about four of these the undersides of like the traditional dows which are the ships the sort of boats that would have been used in the arabian seas for transporting goods and for bringing people back and forth and so you're kind of set with the, seam, uh, the scene as if you are looking at the underside of these gigantic boats which have become kind of lighting installations in themselves and it's almost like you look up and you're in this kind of underwater world and it's kind of very evocative and it's again I, you know when I was there I was thinking about the detailing of this the extraordinary amount of uh, thought that's gone into these kinds of sequences and these scenes, again it might not be to everybody's tastes and particularly coming from a European design sensibilities the sort of style of the, of the Middle East is a very, very different. In the European design sensibilities, we tend to be a little more understated. You're working again in tighter, smaller contexts as well, and you're needing to be sympathetic to other bits of architecture which have already made their statements. So you have this kind of language of modernism, which is a very, very different type of luxurious experience. It's well worth going and checking out the restaurants. There are lovely. If you're in Dubai, um, go to the Grand Hyatt. Even if you don't want to go and if you're not staying there, go and check it out. You, you, as I say, you it is one of these kind of internal landscapes, which is uh, you know Dubai is very famous for. Hello and welcome Ryan Willard here and I am reporting to you from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates and the building I want to talk to you today about is the incredible Abu Dhabi Louvre on Sadiat Island here in the centre of Abu Dhabi uh, City. Now the building itself architecturally is... For me, I thought it was extraordinary. I really enjoyed it. Um, the roof is just mesmerizing. It's kind of really, it's echoing or it's been, ge- it's been generated, its own geometries have been generated from a kind of traditional sense of Islamic uh, geometries. Um, often when I've seen kind of, uh, particularly in the UAE, when I've seen Islamic um, Buildings or Islamic geometries or patternations being used in contemporary architecture, it always becomes literally just a kind of almost like a surface print onto things. Um, and if you kind of look back at Islamic mosques and architecture and how all of their buildings get generated from the same sort of geometric principles and you see these principles being uh, repeated and reappearing at different scales throughout the architecture and these kind of geometric principles end up defining spaces, they end up generating They end up generating roof details and it's kind of like a blossoming, it's a very beautiful... Um, you know, a kind of fractal, if you like, when you see traditional Islamic geometries being utilised in architecture. And you, this is, and this is what causes that kind of mesmerising effect. You'll go into a mosque, and I like think like the Blue Mosque uh, springs to mind in Istanbul. You'll go into this wonderful building, and it's just hypnotic, and it's this kind of um, generative, generative geometry, and principles that are creating this kind of patinations, which end up crossing scales, um, you know, from being... Um, when I say that, I mean, like, the scale of a book to the scale of a door to the scale of a facade of the building. Um, it's that kind of immersive experience, um, like a Gansfield, really, a kind of totally immersive, uh, um, patternated visual field that creates this mesmerising effect. Anyway, the Louvre building... Starts to echo some of that, and it's fantastic. Um, and they've kind of created this patination out of a, you know, it's a steel roof that's been clad in. I don't know, it might be aluminium cladding, um, but there is a kind of lattice work, a woven patination where you've got kind of three or four different um, layers of this kind of patination on top of each other and they actually create the uh, apertures and the openings and they control the amount of light coming into the space underneath this dome. So it's this gigantic dome which is kind of sort of floating above um, uh, let's call it like a little... I- I'm calling it a kind of like an, an Arabic town underneath. And the Arabic town is uh, is these kind of much more formulaic buildings. They're kind of, you know, they're square, they're small. Um, they look a little bit, for me, they kind of evoke the kind of traditional Arabesque, um, you know, architecture Um, except they're done in a very contemporary style. And these kind of controlled boxes, if you like, are what are containing all the artwork. Um, And then it's kind of covered by this enormous dome, which kind of creates a beautiful ambient environment. It protects, uh, you know, there are outdoor spaces. So when you leave these kind of, the, the fortified town, let's call it, and you go out into the outside areas, the dome is kind of covering all of it. And, you know, it's a very kind of, Comfortable environment, particularly when you consider that you've got 40 degrees plus Celsius heat outside. Um, it's a very, very pleasant environment, and the whole thing is surrounded by water. So you have kind of these kind of pools or these gatherings of water, where it kind of seeps in the into the dome, under the dome, uh, and creates a sense of you know some very, very peaceful um, spaces. Now the building was designed by Jean Nouvel who is the great French architect who also designed um, the Institut du Monde Arab in Paris. So quite fitting, really, to have him do this building. I like the fact that he's done this in Abu Dhabi and at the moment he's doing the, uh, the museum in Qatar as well. So he's really kind of designing some jewels of the Middle East at the moment. And... What was really fascinating for me, actually, was not just this, the architecture is, is, you know, is beautiful, but also the kind of franchise agreement that the Louvre is using. So, essentially, this is part of a thirty-year agreement between the city of Abu Dhabi and the French government, right? So, basically, let me just let me just figure this out. Basically, there has been a deal that was struck um, where Abu Dhabi paid around $525 million to be associated with the name The Louvre, right? And the building itself, put that perspective, the building itself cost around 600 million euros so you've got over a billion dollars there of investment going into this cultural uh, institution into this into this building whereby the name and the franchise the licensing agreement itself has cost nearly as much as the construction uh, and then you've got the cost of all the artworks which are being uh, being paid for in you know as a loan essentially, and artworks are going to be around from around the world they 're not just from the Louvre in paris uh, but they will be all from all over the place and and it's it 's Really, really fascinating. It's been quite controversial. Um, a lot of sort of traditionalists, or the sort of museum conservationists, and other people in the art world, there's a kind of camp that believes that this is not the way that museums should be treated. Building, uh you know, museums should be not be behaving like this, where it's the kind of it's seen that they're kind of being, you know, profit hungry, and that it will be detrimental. To uh, you know, these kind of large cultural institutions. Um, but I, it's yet to be seen. So very, very interesting. <clears throat> if you are in Abu Dhabi, go and check it out. It is a staggering building. Um, and I look forward to visiting it again. They're also going to, apparently, they're going to be sh- um, exibi- exhibiting the Salvador salvatore mundi the new leonardo da vinci not new leonardo da vinci painting but the painting that was recently sold as one of the most expensive artworks ever that will be on display shortly so yeah go and check it out Hello and welcome Ryan Willard here with this little segment of my travels in the UAE and today I want to recount a building that I visited called Ferrari World. Now Ferrari World is a phenomenal space frame structure which houses an amusement park for Ferrari. So personally i've never really thought that ferrari would go down that route of amusement parks i kind of feel it's a little bit off brand the building itself is slightly peculiar Um, it is in one sense it's phenomenal because of its scale and if it were we were judging the world's best sheds then it probably wouldn't even be in the top 10 of the world's best sheds. to be fair but it would certainly have a uh, kind of quirky mention of look at this bizarre form that we've created. Now, the building itself, when you look at it from the aerial plan view, it kind of looks like a strange um, sea urchin, an enemy type of creature has swallowed one of those corporate conference phones that you see in those kind of large meeting rooms, a kind of triangular shape. Um, And it's got these kind of two-pronged, um, like legs at the end of each of the kind of apexes of the uh, triangle so it's a very peculiar form um, and and for me what's what's kind of almost a little bit uh offensive about the building is that it doesn't it doesn't celebrate ferrari it's got nothing to do with ferrari except for the fact that it's red um the space frame as i said it, it itself it's you know it's, it's enormous it's i think it's built by an engineering company called Miro who specialize in space frames they built the Eden project and that as a piece of engineering in itself is staggering it really is but as a piece of architecture whose you know purpose is to celebrate something uh this building I feel doesn't do Ferrari justice the I didn't I must admit I didn't go inside into the actual exhibitions itself so if I'm missing something please let me know and tell me that I'm totally off but my kind of uh impressions of walking around the building and kind of going into as far as you you had to go without paying because it was about 60 quid to go inside the thing and the roller coaster wasn't working and I was kind of um I went and spent my money elsewhere I it, the, the building didn't celebrate Ferrari. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, Ferrari conjures up, for me, images of the, um, the Ferrari Dino or the 250 GT or Cabriolet or the Ferrari F40 or the Testa Rossa or the new, you know, 488. It's these beautiful cars that are filled with finesse and tight curves and precision craftsmanship. They really are extraordinary pieces of engineering in themselves and they've got a very distinctive aesthetic to them of control of like seductiveness there's something about the ferrari brand which is very very um in not it's not indulgent or opulent in that kind of way it's design which is very seductive And this building does not have that. And when we compare it to, say, some of the work of Future Systems and Jan Plicki and the Enzo uh, Enzo Ferrari Museum in Moderna in Italy, we see a very different kind of architecture there. We see a building there that does celebrate that kind of um, seductive form of Ferrari. We see a building which is beautifully integrated into its historical context, a building that's sensitive, a building that kind of um, echoes the form of Ferrari, the engineering precision, a, a building that gets away with a kind of vibrant, bright, audacious colouring, the way that a Ferrari can get away with that kind of a uh, bright red or the bright yellows that you often see them in. Because the design is so... Uh, controlled and so refined um and you know the interior spaces are seductive they beautifully show off the uh you know the the sort of historical vintage ferraris each each car is treated as if it was some precious item and it really gives a, a very unique space to celebrate and inquire about the beauty of these cars the ferrari world for me I felt was more akin to the lotteries that you get at an airport um you know departure lounge where you've got a kind of Ferrari or a, a high-end sports car tilted up on a you know on a wedge and you can go and buy a raffle ticket to see if you can win it that was the kind of that's how I I felt the Ferraris were being displayed and exhibited within Ferrari World what I saw And then you could go and buy a hat or a tea towel with the Ferrari logo on it. Now I don't know what the sort of marketing um, behind this was, or whether it was one of these kind of um, UAE-esque licensing deals where they pay an extreme, a large amount of money to. Um, basically franchise the name and then they can build whatever it is they want around it or perhaps it is something that was instigated by ferrari perhaps it's a a means of cultivating a new younger generation of ferrari drivers that would actually make a lot of sense somewhere like the uae lots of wealthy um, young people um you know if you're kind of starting to have them intrigued and talking about ferrari at a young age then obviously later on in life that makes that makes sense um or perhaps it's just making it more accessible. Making Ferrari more accessible. Anyway, the building is um, interesting. If you're in Abu Dhabi, there are other better buildings to go and visit. Um, but this is its is certainly worth having a look at. It really is. It's kind of its intriguing. It's bizarre. It is the UAE. And it's kind of what I love about the UAE. The UAE has this kind of wonderful... Um, you know, they love scale, they love size, they love doing things on this enormous, epic um, scale, and there's a kind of childishness and fun to it. Anyway, thank you very much, go and have a look. Hello, once again, Ryan Willard here. So, Today I went and visited Mazda City, which is a technology and sustainability research environment uh, and a kind of incubator for technologically driven businesses that have got a very strong commitment to um, creating low carbon footprint and sustainable, futures um and it's i thought it was wonderful it's designed by fosters and partner and it was probably one of the best things i've seen in abu dhabi architecturally it's a really fantastic kind of environment um, there's a number of wonderful a number of wonderful collections of buildings there and what's really fascinating about it is that it is itself a zero carbon footprint um, development there's a number of research laboratories there's kind of it's the home of Siemens the kind of you know the big tech company Um there's the Masdar Institute which is there which has its own research uh, laboratories there and there's a mixture of professors and academics and students and um you know mixing and working rubbing shoulders with entrepreneurs and um you know the, the the sort of research development arms of large corporations um and the the kind of environment itself utilizes a lot of very good technology both ancient Arabic architectural devices that have kind of come from the vernacular forms of buildings that would have been used many hundreds of years ago that is still used in traditional town planning of um, Arab- Arabic uh, developments and settlements um, that, and that use kind of natural ventilation and you know, natural solar orientation um, to keep thermal ambience at its optimum. So, for example, if you've ever been to like the Moorish parts of Spain and southern Spain, Andalusia or any of these kind of Mediterranean towns, you will notice that often the streets are very, very narrow and the buildings can be quite tall. And this very simply allows buildings to overshadow themselves and keep the streets constantly in shade. And that in itself just keeps a very, very naturally cool um ambient environment. So a very simple strategy like that is employed. Um and it, obviously that has its roots in the kind of from you know from the Arab world and the Arab Arab technologies of architecture. Um you've also got and it, it's kind of mixed in of other things. So again like the kind of traditional veils that you might see on buildings in, is kind of used lots of solar shading devices. Of course, there's loads of solar energy all over the place. In fact, there's football fields of solar PV cells that are kind of just staring up into the sun, collecting and harvesting energy. I know that the ambition for the development was it to be completely self-sustaining. Whether it's achieved that, I I don't know. Um, Abu Dhabi and the UAE, certainly the Middle East, these kinds of places could Position themselves as the world leaders in solar technology. Um, however, there isn't there isn't really the political will or the need necessarily to do it in terms of their other energy resources. Um, but it is encouraging to see something like the Mazda um, Institute and the Mazda City actually coming forward in the U- in the UAE. So this kind of mixing let's go back a bit this mixing of technologies you've got these kind of very simple architectural devices as i said narrow streets um self-shading buildings so some of the residential units are this beautiful terracotta glass reinforced concrete very thick walls very substantial bits of you know kind of thermal mass that in themselves can offer a lot of protection to the heat the desert heat from the desert heat and they undulate, and this undulating—you know—each floor kind of undulates, and then um, the undulations kind of, you know, they have like a kind of interference pattern with them, each other. You know, you've got one undulation above a crest um, of another floor below, and that kind of form creates a kind of again, this self-shading. So the building begins to shade itself on the facades, and windows are kept to a minimum. Um, again, to be able to really reduce the amount of um, overheating in these buildings. Um, what else have they got? They've got this amazing wind tower. The, you know, Again, the wind towers, you look at some of the early work of Hassan Fafi. Well, not the early work, but some of Hassan Fafi's work, the great Egyptian architect who was um, a master at utilising this kind of middle eastern ways of vernacular building and he would often use employ um the traditional wind towers that would be used to keep buildings cool so they would all orientate themselves to the prevailing winds and this wind would be captured and basically just drive natural ventilation throughout the building which would end up keeping it cool and would you know would be able to you know having moving winds inside your building will um will increase like things like evaporation rates. Um, and there's more evaporation happening, there's gonna be more cooling, there's gonna be more of that kind of um that thermal reaction happening where energy has being sucked out and kept cool. Um so there's this wind tower which has been kind of updated and modernized and I didn't quite understand how it was it, I mean I don't think it's quite working on it's working on similar principles. Um but it's doing something slightly different. But it is essentially, it's not cooling a building, it's cooling the entire environment itself. It's cooling the entire sort of townscape. Of course, there's lots of fountains, lots of natural water. Um, Again, that kind of adds to a very nice ambient um, cooling of the environment. Um, And then you've got these kind of modern technologies like ETFE foil-backed pillows, which are kind of reflecting heat and keeping the air cool on some of the outside facades of the building there are lots of highly reflective metallic materials being used there are laser cut um metal veils which kind of shade some of the buildings there are one of the bill i think it's called the knowledge center it looks a bit like a hedgehog and it's made out of glue lamb timber a very beautiful arcing forms like a kind of seashell shape but it has um Kind of sort of how would I describe this triangulated windows or openings that are kind of controlling light coming through and um, penetrating through this curved surface, but they're also creating quite a, um, a, a, a large surface area. So they've got PV cells on one side of them, but they're also creating again kind of natural cooling they're controlling the amount of light that gets in They're controlling the amount of exposure to the sun and again it looks it looks really cool it looks very very nice um one of the things that was slightly baffling they've got this kind of personal transit system which are these sort of total recall-esque taxi cab things and um, they weren't working unfortunately whilst we were there but i was kind of confused by them I and mean, they're all totally I get it, they're, they're sort of, you know, energy efficient and they are running on renewable resources. Um, but why on earth there isn't bicycles anywhere? I did not understand. That surely is the, the way forward. And I get that it's, you know, it was 40 degrees heat when I was there and I get that it gets up to 50 sometimes in the, in the summertime. However, with all these devices that keep the ambient temperature quite low it'll be very pleasant to cycle around I mean we were quite happy sitting outside most so much of it is in shade Um, so having kind of cycle routes that allow you to kind of just keep in the shade um, I would have thought it'd been quite good but I don't know how far these transit systems actually extend anyway the Mazda City I really if you're in Abu Dhabi it is an absolute must for any kind of keen um architecture buff to go and explore and have a look at Hello again, Ryan Willard here. So in this segment, I visited the final building that I got an opportunity to go and have a look at whilst I'm here in Abu Dhabi. And that was, of course, the Grand Mosque, the Grand Sheikh Zayed Mosque, which was completed a number of years ago. And it's quite something. It really, I mean, just in the scale of it, it is absolutely enormous it's not the biggest mosque in the world it claims to be the third largest mosque on the planet i am not entirely convinced by that i have been to some fairly epic mosques in my time in various uh, middle eastern countries and i'm not entirely sh- convinced that this is it may be in the top 10 but i don't know about the top 3 um anyway so we went and visited it and um Unfortunately, us not really being culturally aware, um, we went at sunset and it being Ramadan at the moment, sunset being the time when um, the followers of Islam um, break their fast that they've been doing throughout the whole day and they have their first meal after the fast, of course, uh, iftar. Um, and so not being a follower of Islam, we weren't allowed to into the mosque now i have visited it before i've visited it a few times before when i've been in Dhabi. and it is quite remarkable building and what i'm what i quite like about it is the um just the sort of the precision of the domes now you look at some of the great architects of islamic um buildings You think of someone like Sinan and you think of the great mosques in Istanbul and just the kind of huge presence that they have. Um, This mosque certainly has that. And for me, what's really, really gorgeous is the domes. The domes are just such a sort of beautiful, beautiful shape. They look so delicate. They look like they are like eggshells of concrete. Now the whole building is cast concrete, which is the kind of uh, the typical way of building anything in the Middle East. Um, All your luxury buildings tend to be cast concrete, formwork, and then you just cover it in tiles basically. Um, And this building is essentially no, no different, except there is a level of precision in the construction which is just phenomenal um my dad who works in construction um said that his company was actually and they do a lot of the concrete formwork um said that his company was involved in doing the formwork they were doing the the concrete pours for um some of these domes and it was a technical job which was just ridiculous it they the company didn't make any money on it it was just You know, if you've got this thing, kind of the tolerances were incredible. Um, The level of finish of the concrete, the grading of the concrete was the highest possible spec. And if these um, domes are geometrically out of shape or misproportioned or there's something goes wrong in the pool, they've got to be done again, essentially. They've got to be done again. There was little room for mistakes. And it shows you can kind of like the the building itself has quite an interesting set of road networks around it I took a really nice long camera shot actually of how the roads kind of orbit around the mosque um and you get these kind of wonderful views of the building as you're driving on the highways um in and out of Abu Dhabi and of course the most fom- prominent feature of it is the domes is the silhouettes is the shapes um the domes you know they'll be kind of using these traditional uh, Islamic tool that that kind of architectural tools or devices or tricks if you like of you know you'll see like a, an archway and the dome will fit beautifully inside of the archway and all these kinds of things have been very well carefully laid out and and thought about so it's well worth going online and having a look at some of the images of the construction of this thing and just really kind of appreciating the incredible Uh, advances and engineering that's gone into the concrete that's actually used in this quite staggeringly scaled building.